Welcome everyone to another episode of Streamed and Screamed, an entertainment podcast about movies and TV from Lee Enterprises. My name is Terry Lipschitz. I'm a senior producer at Lee and joining the program as a host with Bruce Miller, who is the editor of the Sioux City Journal and a longtime entertainment reporter. Chris Lay, the voice you normally heard at the opening and throughout the show, has moved on from the program, and Bruce was on assignment in sunny Los Angeles. So we decided to take a short break, but now we are back with a set of programs as we march closer toward the Oscars. Bruce, how are you today? Terry, 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 Terry. First of all, sunny California. It was <laughs> not sunny. It rained the whole time. And <laughs> I, I can't tell you that I even got out of the hotel. That's Really? How, yeah. I did get to the Oscar Museum, which was fun to do. And we have a thing there where you can actually hold the Oscar. $15 is how much it costs and get your picture taken. And then uh, they, they do like a little video of you accepting the Oscar. Oh, wow. Which nice. was cool. It was heavy. They said it's eight pounds. Wow. Um, and the Oscar that I held was one that was handed out last year at the Oscars. Um, they do fake ones, you know, when they're, when they're doing the show, they'll hand that to the people and then they pull it away. And then in another room, they give them their real Oscar with the right, um, the serial number on it so that then they know where it went. But this okay. was one of the ones that was used in the process of the uh, production. So it was cool to do. It was, I mean, you know, come on, throw me an Oscar, I'll do it. And I, you know, and I acted like I was so humble and everything. You'll never get to see this video because I look like a real sport, <laughs> but it was, um, it was fun to see. It was fun to do. And the, the museum itself has a lot of fun stuff. There's Bruce the shark from Jaws hanging mm. over the top. There is a three-story um, backdrop of uh, Mount Rushmore, which was used in North by Northwest, wow. and unbelievable to see. And then R two D two is there, C three PO is there. So there's a lot of stuff. If you're a movie fan, it's a it's a must visit. I think that's cool. Now, when you accepted, did they play you off? Did your speech go too long? Uh, no, I was able to finish the speech, and it was a lot of thank yous. You know, well, that's great. Yeah, so it was fun to do. And then I looked at the pictures that they took and I thought, gee, maybe I need a redo on this one because <laughs> I don't know if I really looked the best, but there you go. I, I only made it to LA one time. It was for an online news association conference a number of years ago, but the hotel was right next door to Nakatomi Plaza. So uh, I got to see where, you know, that Christmas story 30 some odd years ago and they rebuilt it nicely. It looks, it looks really well these days. You know, I know you're going to think this is just crazy, but I figured it out once I spent three years of my life in Los Angeles. Wow. If you add up all the times I go there to visit and do interviews, three years, uh, two years in New York. So, Hey, have I been in Iowa that long? I don't know. I have all <laughs> the other years that I can, I can uh, total up, but Tara, tell everybody about your background because we want to know how devoted you are to the movies. If you're not devoted, then I'm going to be teaching you like it's <laughs> movies 101. Yeah. So, you know, well, for, you know, we are, we're going to be partners here, but I, I wanted to be clear, like I'm Robin to your Batman. I'm Chewbacca to your Han Solo. So I'm Cliff Clavin to your Norm Peterson. So, but I do. And I'm Yoda. You know, yeah, how exactly. Right. No, I'm a I'm a big movie fan, a, a big TV fan. I I have not gotten out to the movies as often as I would like in the last couple of years in the COVID, you know, this what? COVID era, uh, right? Yeah, but uh, spend a lot of time streaming movies with the family. 
you know, I think I, I mentioned to you previously, I did get to Avatar 2. I did get to, to Top Gun Maverick. So I have been back to the theater a couple of times since since 2020. But with the with the kids and the family, uh, a lot of time devoted to Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and all that. So uh, definitely been around. Thanks to streaming, everybody now can be kind of an insider. Yeah. There is so much content available that uh, you're not just kind of watching one or two movies a year that get nominated. You could see all of them if you really, if you looked for it, you can find them. Avatar, yeah. let me ask you on that. Did you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of it? I, I probably should have, but I, I held out until the end. Oh, I had to go. I thought, you know, when I'm taking a big drink in there and you always have to gauge the size of the drink. Yeah. The drink can determine how long you're going to be sitting there. And that avatar, that really was a two bathroom break movie. It was, it was, but I, I did, I did persevere and I made it to the end. I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a good popcorn movie. Um, I enjoyed, you know, I, I hope it doesn't take 15 years until the next one comes out. No, they've already, you know, they've already finished um, the other ones. Um, okay. In fact, uh, Edie Falco, who is in this just very, very briefly, um, told me that she had already done three and four. Okay. And it's like, really? Or what? She says, you just go in, you do your part. You don't know where it's going to land. It could be in one episode. It could be in all of them, but you do it for like a couple of weeks and then they shoot you doing this stuff and you're done. I think they're going to be sooner than you think. I don't know that we'll go over next year, but a couple of years and we'll see another avatar. That's good because I I enjoyed it. it. It's a good I think it's a good franchise type of movie, and and it's been a while since you know with Star Wars not doing any big movies in the last few years, it's kind of nice to have that sci fi thriller back out there. Yeah, yeah. Are you so you are an Avatar fan? I, I am. Yeah, I enjoyed the first one. I, I don't know if I enjoyed this one quite as much as the original, but I, I thought it was fun. It's a good popcorn movie. Unobtainium. Come on. <laughs> you got to tell me that that way. Couldn't we have come up with a better name for Probably. this? Yeah. And, and those whale-like creatures that are in Avatar 2? Come on. You could do a little more with that, you know? But I digress. It is what it is. I don't want it to win Best Picture, so please no. don't start pulling in that direction. That's not going to happen. Uh, I, I did enjoy seeing Edie Falco back on the big screen because I am a big Sopranos fan. I used to... And, and you probably don't know this, but when I worked in New Jersey, uh, I actually wrote a weekly column about the Sopranos where I would I would look at what happened. I'd analyze it. I'd summarize who might have been uh, taken out, you know, sleeps with the fishes that week, uh, right. a little quote of the week. And then I would try to kind of predict where the series was going. So I've, I've done a little bit of. Uh, entertainment reporting in the past myself well, i'm counting on that that's great but did you think it end the way it would, that it ended or did you say uh you mean like fade it go go into black and then that was it yeah did you uh, really... No, that that that's crushing that was kind of I, I wanted something i wanted a resolution to that whether it was prison or or a hit or something i i just didn't want to end it like that it leaves it in your hands though you can decide how you wanted it to end and there you're good yeah. And, you know, speaking of uh, of the Sopranos, I had another bit of a surprise during the Christmas break because my wife and I huge fans of the White Lotus and we we binge season two during Christmas week and Michael Imperioli, Christopher Moltisante was right. back. Yeah. Right. Did you like it as as much as uh, the first White Lotus or not? I you know what? 
I love I did love it. Uh it it wasn't quite as mysterious for me just because we knew that there would be some level of plot twist, you know, cause you knew that it's a, it's a suspenseful show and you know, something is going to happen. Somebody's dying. What? Somebody's but... dying. Who will it be? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, and I think maybe they shouldn't follow their own formula too closely. Right. Where, you know, you start with, uh, Oh, somebody's dead. Who is it? And then you start introducing all the characters. I, yeah. Okay. I get it. But um, I do have some ideas about the next white Lotus that'll be okay. coming. And I do think that that husband mm-hmm. that Jennifer Coolidge has will be making a return appearance. Okay, Greg, right? That was right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see what happens with that. But I, yeah. you know, I love that kind of stuff. And isn't that weird how we get kind of attuned to let's just watch it all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it's really. Yeah, I know. It's kind of funny. My my wife and I were actually having this conversation last night because we started watching. Uh, how I Met Your Father on Hulu because we enjoyed the first the first How I Met Your Mother and uh, I kind of forgot that they actually did season one so we binged through season one of of How I Met Your Father and then realized that like season two just started so we watched episode one of season two a week ago and then just last night we watched episode two and then after we got done we kicked over to uh, Fleischman is in trouble but my wife says, like, I, I like this show. I think I like this show, but I, I don't want to wait every single week for it. And I said, you know what? I, I kind of agree. So I think we might actually put How I Met Your Father back on hold and then wait until we get, you know, the remaining are... episodes and then just kind of hit them in, in a string. Yeah, it's it's I like to I like the concept of gorging. Where yeah, I'll just have it all. Yeah. And then I, I feel kind of complete at the end where you go, okay, I can move on. I don't need to worry about that anymore. And we did that also with uh, House of the Dragon because my wife is, is, she's a sci-fi fan like I am, but never watched Game of Thrones, which kind of shocked me. And I'm like, honey, you got to watch this show. It's really good. You'll like it. And she's like, all right, I guess. And then I told her House of the Dragon. I'm like, you and I are going to watch House of the Dragon. So you have to watch Game of Thrones. So we went back over the summer and binged every single episode of the original so oh she God. got caught up but it was crazy for my end because it's been so long since i had seen episode one of season one that now i'm watching everything from start to finish over the course of about three months when we were watching these and it's really fascinating to watch like an entire series in you know just a matter of months and you know that it took them years to do that right and, you know like okay yeah we're, we can be very disposable yeah yeah a couple characters they changed uh uh i can't remember the character but it was one of uh khaleesi's advisors who they actually changed actors and i didn't realize it when it happened but when you're watching it back to back it's like well (laughs) that actor just changed look at harry potter right now a death happens there they go well wait a minute now you gotta back up here why did your wife not get to watch it in the beginning why was she cut out of this big old game of thrones binge from the first time i have no idea she just didn't i don't think she was interested i don't think she quite understood what it was and then by the time it kept going her friends were talking about it and she's just like well i i guess i kind of missed it but you know we can stream it and i i wanted to get caught up again before getting into house of the dragon to just because i i had just forgotten so many of the characters over time so 
Yeah. Well, so. when they have goofy names, it's hard to remember who, what, which one yeah. is that? And then they show up in other stuff looking like normal. And you right. go, wait a minute. I, I do not, how do I know you? It's like when you go to a restaurant mm -hmm. and you recognize the person in the restaurant outfit, right? Right. And then you see him in the real world and you go, I think I know you somewhere, but where <laughs> are you from? You're not wearing what I think I need to have you wear. And that's the same way with the Game of Thrones people. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so we, we got caught up on that. And now uh, I'm, I'm basically my, I have twin daughters uh one of them enjoys star wars but the other one loves star wars and is very much like me so we've been binging well not binging we've been watching uh uh the the bad batch cartoon right now as we okay. await mandalorian season three so we we did andor now we're on bad batch and that's one of the few shows that i definitely watch like as they come out because i have to get caught up on it you've gone back with her and watched the original uh oh yeah films yeah they're really slow and kind of stupid no no she loves them all okay. yeah Good. yeah yeah that's you know interesting i like i said i saw r2d2 and c3po when you look at them up close it's just little crap you have around the house that they glued <laughs> onto this like trash can and you wow that's it it relates on on screen where you go. It looks good. It looks good. Glad to know. Then you you're my sci-fi guy. Okay, you're gonna have all of that. You you have to get into it very deeply because I do not like Lord of the Rings. Do not even mention Lord of the Rings to me. I don't care about the Lord of the Rings. I don't <laughs> want to know those people. And that second episode where they were walking forever and got nowhere mm -hmm. was like the worst part of my life. Then we get to the third one where they must have had like five or six endings to this thing. I swear I got up several times thinking that was the end of the movie. And then <laughs> we came back. So Lord of the Rings, there we are. Okay. So, all right. Well, I'm your sci-fi guy. Uh, and well, you know, and I've been listening to this program for a while. And I, I think a lot of what you've been talking about, I'm I'm down with. So I, I definitely hopped into like Fleischman is in trouble did and, you like uh, it? I did. Yeah, we're we're about halfway through it right now. Uh, we just kind of watched the the episode last night of where uh, Toby and and his ex wife Rachel kind of how they met and got together. And okay, so we're 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 about halfway through the series right now. You understand her much better in the end. Okay, because I think in the beginning you think she's kind of a villain, and you think, why did she do this to him? You get a sense of what it's all about as it as it wears on. But I thought it was very fascinating. I wasn't expecting that to be as good as it was. Yeah. Um, so see what happens. You know, and I was on the set of How I Met Your Father. Um, it was in California. Interesting, because there's so much crap on that set. You walk around and you think, how do they even keep track of this to make sure it's going to match up for the next scene? Because it's just junk everywhere. And they use some of the elements from how I met your mother um, in the set of this. So you would be able to kind of make those connections if you're a big fan of that kind of stuff. They don't shoot in front of a live audience because of COVID. Okay. And they do think that someday they'll get back to actually having a live audience. But right now it's, it's so much easier to shoot with three cameras in a set mm -hmm. and not have to worry about, we got to stop now because the audience said something. Okay. That makes sense. It's it's been fun to watch. I don't think it's as good as the original uh, program, but it, it's you know it, it's 
it's good to pass the time and and something to <laughs> it's something that we can relate to. It's a, it's it's a fun filler. It's the yeah. filler that we say, well, we got to watch something. What are we going to watch? Well, I yeah. suppose we can watch that. That's exactly. one of those, right? Yeah. So, um, well, enough about me, uh, unless you've got anything else you want to ask. But, oh, we'll ask uh, we're going to be asking all the time. So we're going to okay. learn more about you as we go along. But I don't want us to spill everything right now. Good. That sounds good. Uh, you know, question for you, because the last time you did the show was right around the Golden Globes. Uh, since that time, Oscar nominations have come out. Now, I don't necessarily want you to have to talk about everything, but I, I just figured, you know, were, were there any surprises to you? Was it, you know, kind of what you expected? And then we can come back with some future episodes and get a little deeper. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, the idea that Andrea Riceborough was in a film that like maybe 10 people saw. It made $27,000. It's called To Leslie. She got a Best Actress nomination. That's unbelievable. And all it turned out to be is that there was kind of a concerted campaign on behalf of a lot of actresses who got together and said, nominate her. She's really good. You guys need to put this down. And I did not realize that it's a weighted ballot. But if you got more than 200 first place votes in this weighted ballot, you could get a nomination. And they they knew the secret. They were able to get it for her. And then the Academy thought, well, maybe this is a little too much campaigning. We can't have this. And they had a summit meeting this last week and decided, no, it's okay. She can still have the nomination, but we're going to be a little more cautious in the future about social media campaigns for... Mm for actors and actresses. So it it is what it's the way everything is, you know, there's some kind of a, but that was a surprise because I still can't find that film. It's out (laughs) somewhere and I do want to see it. And I hear she is just absolutely marvelous. Now, if she wins best actress, you'll know that something was up. Okay. Yeah. So that's fascinating. I thought Fablemans would do better than it did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that kind of, lessens its chances. I do think right now, um, everything, everywhere, all at once is the film to beat. That you're going to see a lot of action from. I talked to Michelle Yeoh and she's Mm -hmm. she's so excited about this, the concept of this, that maybe this is going to break the glass ceiling for Asian actors. Um, And she, she was one of those ones that was just genuinely touched by the idea that they were nominated. And that's cool to see. Jamie Lee Curtis is touched. She comes from a long history of people in the movies. And, um, you know, it would be really cool to see her win too. And then Yu Kwan, um, who plays the husband of Michelle Yeoh in the film. And you got to see this. If you haven't seen this film, you must watch it because it's the strangest thing ever. Um, you know, he thought he was never going to work again after Indiana Jones. He thought right. he was done. And here he's back. And I think that's a really, the story there is so great that I think that's the film that we're going to be looking at as the one to beat. And his, that story, the side note to that story too, because he was he was Data in The Goonies. And I read that his uh, his lawyer that negotiated his contract for the movie was Chunk. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Which is crazy. It was a Goonies reunion for for a movie that's now in, in the best picture yeah. discussion. It's, it's fascinating. Um, if you haven't seen All Quiet on the Western Front, this is a remake, a German remake of mm-hmm. a film that actually did win back in the 30s. But it's on Netflix now. And it is fascinating to watch 
but I really don't know how it got in the best picture race instead of RRR because I thought RRR would be the the foreign film that would get a, a little shot from it. I, I did see uh, uh, Western Front over the holiday break. That was just one that I took a little time to watch. And I, I agree. I enjoyed it. I was just a little surprised it was nominated. I thought 1917 did a better job of telling mm. the same kind of story. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that the camera seemingly didn't cut, that it yeah. was just following you around. And I, this one, you know, when they got into some of the the um, the bigger guys, not the guys in the trenches, but the, you know, the whatever they call them in Germany. I don't know what it is. Um, but when they were just kind of sitting around talking, I was bored. I didn't need that part. So anyway, it's fun to see what's going on. And it's all going to twist and turn before we get to the Oscars in March anyway. So we'll see what happens. Okay. All right. Well, we'll come back to the Oscars again in, in the future. We've got a few weeks until until the to the big night. Uh, any any shows of note that our listeners should be uh, streaming or movies streaming or screening right now? Well, you know, 80 for Brady is coming out and people say, was this a publicity stunt that Tom Brady decided he was going to retire so they'd get the the movie a little push? God, if only, if only that were the reason. But I think it's one of those money grabs that people just go, oh, let's put a bunch of big names in it. Let's put Tom Brady on this thing. We're good. Let's make some money. Have you seen that? Did you get to screen it? Not seen it yet. And yes, I will go. I, okay. see all, I see everything. But it's it's one of these things that I call um, a grandma movie. Grandma yeah. will love these. And yeah. it's with a man called Otto. That's a grandma movie. That they love that. They'll maybe go to the movies once or twice a year. Not unlike you with two movies. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, they want to see something. And it's it's pleasant, but it isn't taxing. Okay. There are also, another kind of movie that I, I refer to, and that's the divorced dad movie. The divorced dad has to take the kid out at some point on a weekend. Oh. And it's usually a lot of those Disney animated films that yeah. dad has no desire to see, but he thinks the kid is going to love. All right. Well, I, yeah, I saw the, the, the preview for 80 for Brady and I looked at it and I'm, eh, I don't, I don't know if I there's need to see this one. Really, yeah. There's nothing there where you say, I got to see this because. Okay. It isn't it isn't that, but it will do well. I think it'll do well at the box office. And I think that, you know, grandma's going to the movies this weekend. All right. And then uh, L.A., I know you talked a little bit about the top. Any any other uh, fun stories to share from your trip there? Well, let me think. Um, You know, I did a lot of interviews. It was strange because this is the first time back in three years that I've been able to go back and do this. And we had to wear masks the whole time, which was interesting. Um, the actors didn't, which was also interesting. Um, but then there was one uh, one interview who said, take the mask off. I can't hear you when you're talking if you've got a mask on. And I thought, OK, this could be the way that that ends. It could be the the uh, the bellwether for all those things to happen. But yeah, so it, a lot of shows that we'll be talking about from now until summer um, that I did interviews with, and a lot of interesting young people who are coming from foreign countries and making their mark in the United States. It's it's that's I think one of the big untold stories is how many actors from other countries are making it in Hollywood, and it probably boils down to they work cheaper. Interesting. Yeah. So I, and we've got one coming up this week that I want 
to call your attention to called okay. Murph the Surf. Did you yes. ever hear of Murph the Surf? So, no, I didn't. I, I ended up, you mentioned it. So I, I did kind of a little bit of poking around. And uh, from from what I read, this feels like a bit of a cross between Ocean's Eleven and Point Break. It definitely is one of those things um, where you think jewel thieves? Where do we find jewel thieves anymore? Do you ever even hear about jewel thieves? No, you don't hear about that. But in the 60s, he was probably the first um, kind of criminal celebrity. You know, now we have all those ones on Dateline and God knows what, where it's like, really? I'm not so sure. But he really made people um, fascinated with this kind of background he had. Because Murph the Surf did not kind of look like a thief. He dressed like he was living in Vegas. And he um, he had a string of women that were after him all the time. He was very good at working the media. And R.J. Cutler, the director of the documentary, four-part series, four-part documentary, um, said that he reminded him of Donald Trump. Really? He would talk and talk and talk. Um, and you know that he was kind of pulling your leg. <laughs> and he felt that there was a little something more there that that really people were latching onto. And he said, I see now why Donald Trump has a following, because there is that uh, charisma. Yeah. And and I think that that's the same thing with Murph the Surf. People hadn't seen his type before. And so the idea that here's a guy who's blatantly saying, you know, yeah, I robbed the thing. So what? Um they didn't know how to how to really handle all of that. And then in years to come after that, we had O.J. Simpson. That was a huge, you know, case that where it becomes, uh, what is this? What is this attraction? And that's what they look at in this in this miniseries, um, miniseries documentary. They used a lot of found footage that they had. They did some animation with it. They did. Um, uh, voiceovers from actors who would then read transcripts from uh, courtroom situations. So there's a lot of kind of things going on in the course of all of this. Um, R.J. Cutler calls it an archival um, documentary, as opposed to some of the more current things that he's been doing. He's now working on the Elton John last concert mm -hmm. uh, documentary. And if you may remember, they had this big kind of thing in Los Angeles for the yeah. last, last part of his tour, and he tracked him through the whole course of all of this. Last year, he did a Billie Eilish documentary about her life, one year in her life. Okay. And so he says, those are much different because you don't do research. You're just living with them. You're mm -hmm. kind of experiencing the moment as they experience the moment. But um, a fascinating, different way of of unfolding somebody's story. Okay. Yeah. And and I I know you had mentioned the, uh, uh, the Elton John documentary that's coming up too and i i did catch uh they disney plus aired that live the final concert from dodger stadium so i'm assuming some of that is right. part of that was being filmed right. for this upcoming documentary and you'll see you'll see him going through the paces and the stuff backstage that you probably wouldn't get elsewhere yeah. his family is involved so there's a lot more to it than just here's a concert you know how many times we see like oh billy joel's on and he's right. doing a concert and then you just see him st you're sitting at his piano and that's it. 
this is a yeah, this is a, a a stronger look at you know the maybe the rigors of doing something like that and what his life has been like. Now with, with Murph the Surf, uh, I did see there was a 1975 film. Uh, yeah, it was a, a fiction. Did you ever see that? I think it was called yeah. Live, "Live a Little, Steal a Lot." Yes, I remember it, but vaguely because Murph the Surf did not graze my radar, even though I was around during his heyday. Um, but I don't remember that. And a lot of those films, there were a lot of It Takes a Thief-like films that were coming out, Charade and Caprice and, yeah. you know, you name it. And you had uh, Cary Grant in them. You had George Papard was a big actor in those kinds of things. And they were always like very well-dressed jewel thieves, basically, who then kind of, become very friendly with rich people and dupe them. It's very dirty, rotten scoundrels, if you need a reference for any of this. And they try to use the people to get to where they want to be. So yeah, I, I'm sure that that movie will be back on. If you look for it, you'll be able to find it. And you go, ah, oh, not exactly what I was thinking Murph was like, because Murph has a big old gash on his face. And you know, there's a little kind of disconnect there where he's not as glamorous as you'd like. But he is fascinating, and you do see how he he tries to manipulate the media in particular. Okay, you know one fascinating piece too. Before we move on, I, I did see the the reporter that actually covered the Murph the Surf case live for the New York Post at the time was Nora Ephron, who went on to do Silkwood and When Harry Everything. Met Sally, and yeah, all those rom coms of the nineties. Yeah, and she was a good reporter. If you go back and read her stuff, it's very fascinating um, stuff to read. You know, and this, I, you'll hear when we do the interview, but I asked um, RJ about the spelling of Murph the Surf mm -hmm. because they spell it M-U-R-F. And then I've seen in headlines, you know, when you go and do a little research on this, M-U-R-P-H. Right. And, you know, well, what's the right way? Because this is something that drives newspaper people crazy. Is right. What is the correct way of spelling something? If we did, the first question you always need to ask is, how do you spell your name? And if you get that wrong, how do you deal with it? And he answers in the interview how he knows that it's M-U-R-F. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of the interview, let's go ahead and, and cue that up. And then uh, we'll come back and wrap things up. Okay, the first thing I must know, how do you spell Murph? Uh, it's a good question. It's a good question because you see you're, you're <clears throat> likely responding to the fact that it's sometimes spelled. In the headlines, it. it could be a PH, it could be an F. And that's, what, that's how people spelled it. This is, uh, Murph was, had a nickname that nobody could agree on the spelling of. You know, I, the other thing that struck me is that how, how much did dressing well have a part in people kind of getting behind him because he looked like somebody that was respectable uh more than that he looked like someone who's dashing uh right he was a he was a natty dresser he looked like a he looked like a, a, a and he and he was you know fit and handsome right. and and uh, uh had a twinkle in his eye um he he, he looked like Cary grant in to catch a thief and he and he probably intended to dress like Cary Grant to catch a thief. So uh, so there you go. Um, we spell it with an F because that's how he spelt it. Okay, so he's the ultimate authority in that. Well, it's his name. Yeah, <laughs> he gets to have the nickname that he wants, right? <clears throat> when you looked at this, did you say it needs to be four nights, or did you did it just as you were putting it together? 
extended it that no it was as i was researching it became clear to me that it wanted to be four parts uh and these are the four parts that the first that 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 the first part would be the 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 jewel the second part would be the the murder the third part would be his time in prison and finding the lord and the fourth part would be his attempts to uh manipulate his his story or for his for the narrative of his life to be told as he wished versus the, what the truth was when you talked to him what kind of a sense did you get of him uh i got the sense that he was uh he he was uh um uh very strong-willed that very clear on what he wanted from this experience uh very uh um uh garrulous um if garrulous means uh, overly verbose and un- trumpian in his speech patterns uh he 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 would often uh speak for several minutes at a time you several can't minutes. shut him up then uh I'm describing him, <laughs> um, uh, and and not unwilling to keep me a little bit off balance in a way that's similar to how the journalists in the series describe it. Uh, there are various journalists in the later episodes who talk about, you know, Murph kind of driving them down a dark highway for an, an hour in the wrong direction. To, to to make them feel it, uh, uh, not at ease. He 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 was not unwilling to do that to me as well. Did he remind you of anybody that you either knew or you have covered or you have? He reminded me of our the former guy. As okay. They said. <laughs> very much. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. He's he uh, and and uh, I had I I had occasion to spend some time a decade or so ago with the former guy and so i i recognize that in what it was like to kind of would he be a documentary you do or is that me? Some, yeah Him? no i think would i think may he may he go into the sunset well you know when we see these things is it easier to do it when you're there with them as history is being made or is it easier doing it this way where you have to research everything well they're both you know these are good questions but and and i thank you they get to the core of you know this the, the spice of my life is the variety i can make a i i I, on one hand, I can make a film about Billie Eilish where we're there with her for the entire year between her 17th and 18th birthdays, and we tell the story of all the things that happened to her during that year, and we're filming it in the moment, and it's thrilling, and, and there's that. Or we can make a film like, like Murph the Surf where, where we're relying on archive, and the archive is extraordinary and incredibly rich, and, and, and we have that to work with, and... Uh, uh, or a film like Belushi, similarly, um, and uh, uh, these are these all have their great, um, you know, their joys and their their, their filmmaking opportunities. Um, uh, and I like to I, I like to do it all. When you have uh, 
the films that you're doing now. I mean, you're doing the Elton John thing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, to me, each film is its own riddle. You okay. Know, each film is absolutely its own riddle, and 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 so, you know, the Elton John film is a film about his this year, or the year 1920, and I'm sorry, the year 2022 which was his final year of touring in North America after a lifetime of, of spent on the road. He, he, this is the country where his career began and his, and his touring career in, in, in North America, this is the continent where his career began, and, the, and the, his touring career in North America ended in the city where his career began, which was Los Angeles. And we tell the story of that, of the journey to Los Angeles, back to Los Angeles, even as we're tell, we tell the story of the first five years of his career, so that's a that's a film that kind of weaves together archival and presentation. When do you get the the concept? Is it do you have to spend time with it for a while before you say, okay, this is what it's going to be? Yes, I do, I do, and sometimes it evolves during the making of the film. Um, but usually we go into shooting knowing what we're the style with Billie Eilish. The day I met her, I decided that this wanted to be a purely cinema verite film in the tradition of a film like Don't Look Back, uh, made by uh, 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 D.A. Pennebaker about Bob Dylan in the mid-1960s, uh, but with, um, with Martha Cerf, of course, it was clear to me that this was going to be an archival film. How, how much of a sell job do you have to do with the people to say, no, I'm going to tell your story the way you want it to be told. Well, I was very fortunate with Murph the Surf and that our dear friends at Imagine Documentaries brought us the project, asked me if I would be, uh, if, if, if I and my company, this machine, would, would want to partner with them, if I would direct it, uh, and, and they had secured the rights to Murph's story already. So I, I didn't have to sell it to you him just, at all. Let's work on it. Let's do it. Yeah, it came. It came. It came ready to go. Well, that's remarkable. Yeah, remarkable. Very, very fortunate. You know, when you started doing all of these, where did you think it was going to go? Where did you think this this world of yours that you have excelled at? Did you think it would you be doing this still now, or did you think no, I'll do a different kind of filmmaking? You know, I um, I embraced the, a vision that preceded me, and it was the vision of my mentor uh, and his his contemporaries, D. A. Pennebaker, and the pioneers of the cinema verite movement. I and their vision was that documentary was uh, had a, was was just like real film. That documentary had a, a place in our, in our theaters, in your theaters, and a place on your TV sets, and a place in your in, in, at the center of the culture. The documentary could be experienced as cinema and as narrative and as emotional drama, and, and not only as issue-based agit prop or as uh, uh, as education. And uh, and I embraced that vision from my very first experience, which was the War Room. And I and I um, my very first television project was American High, which was a you know was a, a documentary equivalent of or equivalent of, of Beverly Hills 90210. That's how it was designed. It, the idea was that we would tell stories of coming of age, and you know, and so I thought from then that 
this, I, you know, I, I, I thought the, if, if perhaps if we continued to do this and stand, stood still long enough, the world would, would come round and the world has come round. Coming from the theater, though, wouldn't it seem that you would go into a fictional kind of filmmaking world instead it of... It would. A... I'm a weird person. <laughs> I, my, my, my passions from childhood were, were the theater and journalism. And documentary is, is truly a combination of both of those great interests. The way to have the best of both worlds. For me. For yeah. Me. Oh, it's fascinating. I think you've done some my, really... Uh, my, my colleagues tease me uh, that if I ever wrote a book, it should be called Documentary Filmmaking for... Uh, I'm sort of for theater directors, um, but that it will only sell six or seven. Copies. <laughs> it's not a natural, really. Um, and yet here we are. Yeah, here we are. Right. Thank you so much. Thank I appreciate so it. Much. I appreciate it. All right, Bruce. That was uh, that was a, a fun interview. Thanks for sharing that with us. And uh, any any parting shots before we sign off for the week? Well, you know, next week, I, like I say, I was out in California, so watch out. Have tape recorder, will travel, or I guess now digital recorder or iPhone recorder or whatever it is that we, we deal with. I go back to the days when we actually had cassettes. That's so, right. you know, somewhere in my vast archives at home, if you want to come, you can listen to Betty Davis talk to me about her grandchildren. And um, she, you know, she had a big fight with her daughter. Her daughter had written a, one of those mommy dearest books about her. Mm-hmm. And she had her grandson in a TV movie with her. And at the time, and I said, well, you know, how is this having somebody in your own family star with you in a, in a, a movie? And she says, well, you know, talent skips a generation. <laughs> and I thought, Wow that she can't give it up. She knew how to hold a grudge. So how do you get back at a daughter that's written a bad book about you? You just really yunce a good one when we're talking about the, the grandchildren. So, but uh, next week, I think we should talk to um, Lacrita. She's one of the stars of the new Night Court reboot. And if you haven't watched it, please watch it because you'll see John Larroquette's back on. And um, Melissa Roush, who was on Big Bang Theory, is the star of it. She plays the daughter of Harry Anderson's character from the first one. And it's interesting how they reboot it, but the one who jumped out at me was Lacrita, who is the bail or the um the bailiff. Okay. And she is uh, her timing is incredible. And when you hear her story and she talks about how she got into this and what she was hoping for with her career, I think you'll be you'll fascinated. So that we'll bring that up next week. All right, that sounds good. I, I'm looking forward to it. So, Bruce, I, I appreciate it, and I, I look Very forward welcome. to doing more of these. I'm glad to have you here. Um, I miss Chris, but Chris, I wish you all the best. Jared will bring back, and we'll have Jared talk with us too. But um, movies should be for everybody, so we should we want to hear everything, and I want to hopefully learn from you, and hopefully I can tell you a few things that you don't know yet either. All right. Thanks, Bruce. And we will be back again next week with another episode of Streamed and Screened. 